Harry Ball. So, tonight I've been asked to um, speak about happiness. Where is it to be found? This is a very difficult subject to speak about in a short period of time. While the principles are very straightforward and quite simple and easy to understand, it's not necessarily easy for everybody to fully appreciate and because of that, it is a source of great unhappiness because of my inability to um, maybe present things in a way that everybody can immediately understand and accept for the improvement of their life. So I'm going to be using a word quite a few times, word sensual. Are we familiar with this? Uh, what I want to avoid though is sometimes people think of the word sensual more like we use the word sensuous. When we say sensuous, you think of somebody that's really, you know, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> Somebody that's really deeply engrossed in stuff that's just not very cool or very appealing or attractive. Don't, don't think of the word sensual in that way. The word sensual, as we will use it here, only relates to the idea of the, the senses, like the sense of seeing, of smelling, of tasting. You know, the, the five different senses. So, we have been very deeply conditioned, and I'll talk in a little bit about how and why that has happened, but we have been very deeply conditioned by this idea that... Um, Sensual pleasure is the same as happiness. And the reality is, there is absolutely no connection. <laughs> A person can be engaged and be having all varieties of sensually pleasurable experiences and be profoundly unhappy. There is, in reality, no connection. Not only is there no connection, when you become overly absorbed in chasing after sensory experiences, sensual pleasures, you tend 
to become actually more unhappy in life. Is this controversial for anybody? Or we can handle this? Some people absolutely spaz out on this, on this idea. Um, just as like an example, and we can choose any one of the senses or any kind of sensory experience, but like the taste of food, eating. There are two types of sensory enjoyment here. One is the, the flavors, aromas, and textures that everybody's just gone... <laughs> 20 or 25 years ago, if you had some of these food channels on, everybody would be kind of like pretty amazed. We've sort of turned it into a fine art. The idea of texture and aroma and color and presentation all adding to the sensory pleasurable experience. If I enjoy eating, and most people actually do, there's a little problem if I focus now on this activity in my search for happiness. The more I eat, the more problems I have. I start freaking out because now my body begins to grow in size in places where I don't want it to. If I am not careful, I become pre-diabetic and then diabetic. And there are just like numerous problems, heart conditions, clogged arteries, you know, all kinds of things. So on one hand, here I am thinking about how much I really want to eat and hoping that that will give me the happiness I seek, the fulfillment. And the more I pursue it, the more in anxiety I become for two reasons. One is it's having a really bad effect on my body. <laughs> And therefore, on my life, on my ability to do things, to be active, to connect with people, and you know. And then in relation to, of course, my, my physical well-being. What to speak of your mental well-being when people develop an over-dependency on food to fill up this emptiness? I mean, it's become amazing. How many people have what's been described now as an unhealthy relationship with food? And it becomes a big struggle now to have a healthy relationship. Whereas before, you like 50 years ago, you were hungry, you ate. And that was it. You got on with stuff. And now you've got this whole new focus and people fretting and becoming all disturbed and spazzed out about their relationship with food. I can choose any one of an almost unlimited variety of sensual pleasures. And the same principle applies. There is actually no connection. There's probably an inverse 
correlation between my engaging heavily and overly being overly dependent and focused on sensual pleasure and happiness. You will generally find that the people that are more absorbed in this are actually unhappy. And I think we've mentioned before, back in the early 70s, the famous hedonists of all times, almost um, the Rolling Stones and their famous song, I can't get no satisfaction. And I tried and I tried and I tried. And this kind of, you know, really says it all, whether it's addiction to gaming, whether it's an addiction to pornography, whether it's an addiction to eating, whether, you know, there's just like this unlimited now varieties of problems where people have become overly focused upon sensual pleasure in the hope in the hope and with the conviction that it will deliver happiness. But actually there's no connection. One does not equal the other. And if we can come to grips with this, this is like a really transformative moment in your life and in the search for happiness. I'll just raise another um, idea or principle. Oh, that's going to get rather complicated. In, in, in speaking about this subject, it's not, it's not that we are into condemning sensual pleasure. The pleasures, if I can put it this way, the pleasures of this world. We are not condemning or saying that then it's necessarily wrong and has to be avoided. What the point we're making is that it's necessary to develop an actual healthy and spiritual understanding of life and of the search for happiness and seeing where everything fits, where everything belongs. Um, you know, there is a, a philosophical idea that's been embraced by different people and discussed since almost like time immemorial. It's the philosophy, and it's an actual philosophy, the philosophy of hedonism. Familiar with this word? Hedonism. Hedonism at one time was considered like really bad news when people were more, say, religiously inclined and they lived more simple and frugal sort of lives. Hedonism was considered like really a bad thing. We now live in a time where it is absolutely celebrated. 
and, and there's two reasons. One is this philosophical idea that's become more prevalent. And the second one is something I'll just mention in a minute. The definition, philosophical definition of hedonism is the ethical theory. So it's a theory that concerns ethics, your values and, you know, what you value and how you should live and things that guide your life. The ethical theory that pleasure in the senses of, in, this, in the sense of the satisfaction of desires, that this is the highest good and the proper aim of human life. trying to satisfy the unlimited desires of the body and mind, when that becomes your singular focus in life, this is considered in hedonistic philosophy to be in one's greatest good. Of course, hedonism, this idea, this concept, is developed on a foundation. The foundation is the absolute denial of any spiritual reality. The fact that you are actually a spiritual being temporarily residing within this body, that is completely denied. They say the only reality is this body and mind that you have and the desires that emanate from it, if you work hard to fulfill and satisfy those desires, you will be happy and you will have attained the perfection of life. But there was something that's a little bit more um, kind of corrosive that began about 90 years ago with the introduction of the um, uh, consumer culture. It was the introduction of also this idea that your desires, the desires of your body and your mind, of your senses, are actually not just relevant, but they should be at the forefront. And the people that promoted and pushed this idea were fundamentally industrialists, people that were manufacturing everything and they wanted to make sure that people would consume more and more things. And so there, it was stated, and I've read this before to some of you, and this was a statement that was written by um, one of the leading bankers in America at this time, in about 1924, he said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things even before the old have entirely been consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. So this was the onset of this consumer culture 
that is now permeating this world. And we unfortunately don't really <clears throat> understand how much my thinking is influenced by other people. I foolishly think and boldly state, oh, I'm completely independent. I can make up my own mind. I know what I want. My thoughts, my desires, everything that's going on in my head is supreme. It's my truth and I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> From the perspective of great spiritual seers, this is like, oh my God, this is appalling. This is unfortunate that people have become so what they would consider degraded, where they are unable to actually look objectively at their life and what's going on and consider how much they're really, their ideas and thoughts are being shaped by others. So with the um, introduction of, of this whole consumer culture, it has become so deep and profound and they have unleashed this amazing array of weapons, psychological weapons, to get society to the point where everybody is putting desires over needs. And something as simple, as simple as a little jingle or a phrase, which may seem to be innocent or benign or not very, nothing really wrong with it, is actually part of this whole thing. So you get these, you know, I don't know if it's the latest one from Coke, open happiness. <laughs> I mean, and we don't, I wish everybody burst out laughing. We don't even laugh when we hear that. You can sit in a movie house or some place and that comes on and that does not even strike you as being weird. What to speak of dangerous. It's just kind of like nothing, no big deal. But actually it's just another, another of, of countless millions of reinforcements of these ideas. Do you really think that a sugary carbonated drink that's primarily water and some flavoring is really going to be able to deliver happiness. Is it? It's not, not even a possibility. It's not even the, the vaguest possibility. And yet somebody can boldly make this claim and everybody just like, oh, no big deal. We don't, we're not even struck by it. We're not even laughing about it. We don't even think it anything, it just another one in this endless parade of this kind of propaganda. So uh, what, is the, what is the yogic or the yogi or the yoga perspective? It is this, I am a spiritual being temporarily residing within this material body. 
fulfilling, fulfilling the desires of my senses and mind, it will not fulfill me, that spiritual being inside, will not. Sensual pleasure, like also sensual pain, has a beginning and therefore an end. I cannot enjoy any material experience without limit and forever. It's not possible. It's always going to be limited and it's always going to come to an end. We need to have this understanding if we are going to really want to look for actual happiness. Another reality is that sensual pleasure or enjoyment does not actually touch me, the spiritual being. It is experienced on the level of the body and the mind. And that is why a person can be engaged in vast amounts of sensual experience and feel desperately lonely very much afraid, very much empty. Because you, the spiritual being, have not been touched by these experiences. Being spiritual by nature, I, the spiritual being, need spiritual nutrition or spiritual food, if I can put it that way. This is where I will have the opportunity or the chance to become happy. The more I am in touch with my spiritual nature, the more happiness I will experience. I'll give you just one example. When you do something nice for someone, especially if it's someone that you don't know, and somebody that's in great need, and you offer them even a little help. How do you feel? There is a, a form of happiness that you experience that's actually really nice. When you can reach out even to a family member or someone close to you and do something nice for them, to offer some help, you immediately experience a kind of warmth and there is a, a, you're not jumping up and down and screaming, ah, we won, we won, you know. <laughs> no, but you feel something that you don't normally feel. And that is because Part of your eternal spiritual nature is to serve, is to please, is to engage in loving exchange. It is part of your eternal spiritual nature. 
And so when you do something, even though it may be just connected with another person in this world and may seem like a minor thing, helping somebody, giving up a seat on the bus, somebody fell over, you help pick them up, they drop something in the ground and you pick it up for them, even, even something as mundane as that actually puts us in touch with our eternal spiritual nature. Maybe only in a small way, but it does it nonetheless. If we are to find true happiness and fulfillment in this world, we must seek it through spiritual endeavor, and it must be connected with us, us, our eternal spiritual being, who we are. If we do not go beyond just the level of the body and the mind, then I'm sorry, you will live in a life where you will feel much anxiety, much emptiness, much sadness, just struggling with that which is temporary, which will come and go, which is constantly subject to change. This desire for happiness, we want happily ever after, just like they have in the kids' books. And they lived happily ever after. Why were they saying that? They say that because that is actually our desire. And if we are going to be simply absorbed in something which is not going to last forever, how can we find this condition of being happy forever after? So the essence of finding true happiness will lie in me being able to increasingly perceive my spiritual identity, number one, and number two, to engage in activity that fulfills spiritual need. You know this process that we're engaging in using mantra to, as a form of meditation, Many of the things that we speak about are, are quite um, introductory. But I will tell you that by the use of this form of meditation, one can come to the highest experience of self-realization, of God-realization, and of complete happiness. The thing that you are actually looking for can be delivered through this process. Okay, so um, that's it. Anybody have a question? Simple principle, sensual pleasure will never deliver happiness. Don't chase it. Don't seek to avoid it. Accept it for what it is. And with your energy that you have in this life, focus on something that is actually eternal, something that is more worthwhile.
if you can take that message and think about it and begin to try and examine it in relation to your life, I promise you, it will make a huge difference to your experience of life in this world. Before ending, I'll just w say one thing. Question? Hmm? Okay, let me just say one thing, then we'll do your question. <clears throat> I, I was just in the Philippines for a month and a bit. And um, I, I have a very dear friend there. And um, she somewhat recently left this world, left her body. And she had lived a very difficult life for about 15 years. She was stricken with like savage fibromyalgia to the point where she became bedridden. I mean, you think life is a bummer. You should try being bedridden <laughs> and just getting up to go to the bathroom. People got to pick you up and put you in a wheelchair. And, you know, it was just like hell. It was like hell. And then she got cancer, breast cancer. And so she had a mastectomy and then there was a reoccurrence and more operations and different therapies. And, you know, there was like two and a half years of this kind of stuff. And then finally she, she leaves her body. And it was so wonderful knowing her in this whole time, in this whole time that she went through this massive amount of difficulty. She did not complain once. She just didn't complain. She would recognize, yes, yeah, I'm really in pain. This is really a bummer. But there was no, no complaining. There was no harping on it. She utilized that time as much as she could to be engaged in the meditation process and to have this chanting around and to hear from people. And some of my friends there would visit with her and everything. And we would, you know, visit with her on the internet, all glories to Skype, you know. <laughs> and so she, she lived that life out. And then she told there was a, a young woman that came and gave up over a year of her life to assist her in this last part of her life until she left. And she was a young woman that was also deeply involved since her childhood in this spiritual process. And she told me that Rohini told her one time that she was so happy about her situation because so many people were coming to visit her and to offer their, you know, <laughs> prayers for her well-being and everything. And she would always have this meditation on and she would be able to speak to them about things, about what life is really all for. And everybody's amazed because even though her body is going through so much suffering and her mind is struggling with things, she's actually living in a state of happiness all the way up to the time that she left. And that's, you know, that's a testament to the 
it validates, it demonstrates the power and the importance of the spiritual process. Okay. I'm not sure if I'll be able to word my question correctly. So when you said like your senses and happiness are not connected, and if anyone was surprised, obviously I'm sure a lot of us are. And while I agree you, you can't chase happiness from your senses, is it possible to go the other way around where you're deep, you're happy and content inside and then whatever you do, your sensory pleasure adds to it. So like if you're eating, you're happy eating, if you're singing, you're happy singing, but it's routed the other way around where you know, so it's not chasing your happiness. That's actually quite a, a deep question, um, but it's, it's, it's more than that. When a person has come to um, develop some spiritual understanding, the way in which they look at their own life and themselves and others and the world begins to radically change. Now, such a person... It is not really observable to others, perhaps, what's going on inside. Because such a person will continue to engage with the world. They will be responsible and taking care of the family. They will have show deep affection for everyone. They will engage in work. They will be a responsible member of society. But what's changed is that their purpose for doing these things has completely changed. It's completely changed. So to someone that's not trained to see things, they will look at such a person and think, well, there's no difference between that person and the person next to them. But they could be in two different worlds. So it's not that there is such a huge, necessarily a huge external change but what changes is their purpose for living, their purpose for engaging with others, their purpose for their relationships, their purpose for their life, the purpose for their work. Everything now is done with a spiritual focus and done for a spiritual purpose. The sensual pleasure that they experience is incidental. It's just something that's there. And I recognize, yeah, this is nice. That's unpleasant. That's not nice. This is okay. Okay, that was nice. It was nice. But I'm not going to fixate with that because this is something that is passing. It will come and it will go. And I should not make that my focus because that will not bring me to any spiritual understanding, will not deliver the happiness that I seek. I, I'm glad for your early statement that it's quite shocking. <laughs> Many of the things that we will talk about and we have been talking about are actually quite shocking. It's completely, it, it's, we're talking about something really different. Really different. So if you are shocked, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm shocking you. Um, not, it's not the intention, but being shocked is sometimes a good thing. But we just need to mellow out and not get too freaked out and find our way forward. Okay? Yes? Uh, what are some ways that we can like, satisfy our spiritual being? You said like, 
mantra meditation, doing nice things for other people. What are some other ways what are the ways that we can do this? Um, you, you can't <laughs> you can't imagine how big a question that is. <laughs> but I, I will I will quite simply, your eternal spiritual nature, part you are eternal. Happiness is your natural condition. That is why you feel disturbed by being unhappy. That is why also I mentioned you are eternal. That is why the idea of death or the temporariness of things, you know, disturb you because by nature you are eternal. You are also not supreme. You are not. God, you are not the all-powerful. You are, your position is that you are an infinitesimal, if I can put it this way, spark of God. Your nature, your spiritual nature is to, ex is to experience and to exist in a state of love in both loving and being loved. Love is manifest in the desire and attempt to be pleasing. If I love someone, then I will attempt to please them. And in doing that, I'm offering some service. And that is why I say that this uh, our eternal nature is to serve, and we will find happiness when we serve. The highest form of service, is, of course, is connected directly with God. But that is not the only way to serve. By serving almost anyone, by giving of yourself, you will come to experience a form of spiritual happiness and fulfillment in doing that. Of course, when I say that, it's not without condition. It doesn't mean that you become mindless and you just, you know, find some person who's going to abuse you and take advantage of you and then you just suck up to them and do everything they want. <laughs> No, we have to use our intelligence, but the principle, the principle of serving and this in, in, in the yoga process was the system of karma yoga. Karma means action, the yoga of action, where a person engages in action, where their life becomes a profound spiritual offering. And their time is spent trying to uplift others. Okay? Thank you very much.
Google.